Welcome to the podcast. I'm Bruce Mole from Commonwealth Magazine, inviting you to listen to a new series focused on societal changes wrought by COVID-19. It's produced by our good friends at the Massing Polling Group. Enjoy the show. Imagine you just started dating someone new in early 2020. It was going pretty well and maybe starting to get serious. Then, suddenly, you had to decide. When everything locked down, was this someone you wanted to spend every waking hour with? This person you were just getting to know? It was all or nothing, in or out. I think that it was very difficult for people who were three to four dates in with someone, and then there's a lockdown and you have to make this choice of, are you bubble-worthy? Are you pod-worthy? Am I bringing you into my life and seeing you when we don't quite know what we are to each other? Meredith Goldstein is the Love Letters advice columnist for the Boston Globe. She also hosts its Love Letters podcast. She saw that in addition to this acceleration in decision-making, COVID's arrival also slowed some things way down. Weddings were delayed, dates were pushed off, sometimes indefinitely. For some couples, the stress of COVID brought their relationship to a breaking point. Some people had entire relationships a, a meet-cute, a walk, a Zoom, dating and a breakup, and their friends never met the person. Or they, they, they did this all in a, in a vacuum. And I think that was really hard, just this idea of, you know, it's like that whole, if a tree falls, does anybody hear kind of thing. And this was like, if I meet someone and, and break up with them and no one ever saw this, no one was ever a witness to this, how do I process what happened? And, But COVID didn't completely snuff out opportunities for new relationships. Throughout history, people have found love even in times of upheaval and tragedy. And the same is true today. This week, we're talking about love, dating, and relationships during and after COVID. And if really there is such a thing as after COVID. Or if its ripple effects and new variants are here to stay. I'm Libby Gormley, and this is Mass Reboot a podcast about restarting Massachusetts after COVID and what we lost along the way. This is Episode 7, Love. I'm here once again with my two amazing co-hosts, Steve Gazella and Jennifer Smith. Hey, guys. Hi. Hello. So this is probably the episode we got the most questions about when we set the lineup. We've been doing a politics and policy podcast since 2017, starting with the horse race and now Mass Reboot. So how did we podcasters better known for horse puns and political analysis end up here? Well, for me, it was one of those things that was, I think, changed the most by COVID. And that's how we picked which things we wanted to focus on. So you know, we've talked about work and school and just a whole bunch of topics where everything suddenly changed. But think about if you're not one of the people that this description fits, think about what it was like trying to have a relationship during COVID, trying to plan a wedding, or even if you're already in a relationship, just trying to navigate all the things that COVID brought with it. So for me, that's what made me want to do this episode was just looking at something where COVID just completely changed everything about it and trying to figure out what happened and where we go from here. I was just sort of a millennial existing in the world and already living with my partner when the shutdown happened, but I immediately started hearing from my friends on dating apps that everything on there just got very weird and very personal all at once. Because if you can't casually meet in person, that means a few things. If it's about an app, you have to rethink about both why you're on it and how you use it. 
And then the other thing was that week, everyone suddenly said, am I in a committed relationship now? Because I think the only way anyone can come over for dinner or to hang out is if we're suddenly the only person that either of us is going to see. And we'll hear today about experiences in many different stages of romantic relationships. So single, dating, seriously dating, engaged, married, even building a family. There's lots to get into. So shall we? We shall. Let's go. The entrance of COVID-19 turned the world of dating on its head in an instant. Something as simple as going out for coffee was suddenly not an option. The question became, how do you meet new people when you literally can't meet? With restaurants, bars, theaters, and pretty much everything else closed for part of the year, where did that leave people trying to form a bond with someone new? We went right to the person in all of Massachusetts who knows best what was on people's minds at that moment when it came to love and dating. Meredith Goldstein, the columnist you heard at the top of the episode. She says people had to reconsider their romantic lives as soon as it became clear just how serious the pandemic was going to be. After a few weeks, it became, wait a minute, okay, this is this is not something that's going to end quickly. So how do we move on with our lives and date and meet people and break up? and do all these things in the context of isolation and a pandemic. She says, before the pandemic, many people who wrote into her mentioned how exhausted they were in their search for love. The most common question pre-pandemic was about dating fatigue, meaning people sick of swiping, people sick of going out, people sick of not going out because so much online or app activity led to nothing. People had the tools they needed to connect with other singles. The online platforms existed, and they were popular well before the pandemic. While you might think account numbers would tick up with the pandemic's arrival, they actually declined at first, which may have something to do with the dating fatigue Meredith mentioned. Meredith said the pressure on single people to constantly seek out dates and put themselves out there was wearing them out. The pandemic forced these people to take the breather they so desperately wanted but wouldn't allow themselves. All of a sudden, it was irresponsible to go out, right? Like, all of these people who secretly wanted to take a break, or maybe not so secretly wanted to take a break, and were like, can I just stop for five minutes? I don't want to do this. But then they would feel bad for not doing it. They were like, well, I can't do it because I'm being responsible. A lot of that prior pressure around dating dissipated, Meredith says. People stayed in more because they had to, but they appreciated the respite. With the pandemic to blame, people no longer blamed themselves. The mindset of people staying home and allowing themselves to sit by themselves without feeling bad for not doing, doing, doing and moving, moving, moving. I mean, that was, you know, for some people, a real load off, you know, the idea that just by staying home and not going out and not trying to be in the face of someone else, they were helping the world. That felt okay. But for many people who wanted to continue dating, Apps were the best way to safely meet, in theory. And that's where the love story of Honey Goodenough and Kenneth Dyer starts. Uh, I knew I was on something special right from that first day. We hit it off immediately. There was chemistry. It was, you know, going in the right direction. (laughs) They met, fell in love, got engaged, got married, and had a baby all in just over a year. This was during a global pandemic, and they never even went out to a movie or for a romantic dinner. Kenneth had been on dating apps for more than 12 years, on and off. But just 13 days after Honey got on that same app, she met Kenneth. We probably would not have met 
without quarantine. Um, I generally would only talk to one person at a time, and I periodically shut my accounts down because it was depressing. <laughs> um, and she would be working seven days a week all through the summer and not take the pause to get online. Yep. Usually my summers are filled with teaching five days a week and performing on weekends. And so usually once June hits, I am just so busy. It's all I can do to, you know, have the energy for Monday morning. And but meet they did. And they clicked immediately, spending seven hours on their first Zoom date, doing nothing but chatting, miles apart, until 2 a.m. Honey is a puppeteer, a clown, and an educator. And she wanted a partner, a family. After years of unsuccessful attempts to find those things, Honey had made herself a promise when it came to relationships. Like, I wasn't going to, you know, if I'm going to scare him, I'm going to scare him off early. And I, I'd been too scared to ask people what they wanted. And I, so I asked Kenneth what he was looking for, and he said... Uh, long term, I was looking for a wife. We should mention, by the way, that love has a lot of meanings. We're focused on romance this episode, and that's certainly where Kenneth and Honey come in. But there was a very important third person in the room while I spoke with the two of them. Their daughter. Hi! Hi! That's our baby girl saying hello. (laughs) Um, Before Honey met Kenneth, she had been trying to get pregnant through a fertility clinic, but none of her three attempts took. And when the pandemic struck, the clinic also closed its doors. She was crushed, but she wasn't willing to give up on trying for a baby. I, I think of it as like I had a chat with the universe because what I really wanted was, you know, the nuclear family. I wanted to, you know, have a partner and, and I had given up on that. And I thought, well, I'm not doing the things that will help me have what I hoped for. And so I thought, okay, I guess since since I'm not doing those procedures anymore, I might as well try dating. And the only way to try dating is online. A friend of Honey's set her up on the dating app Coffee Meets Bagel. And I thought, I'll just treat it like a video game. It's on my phone. <laughs> but I also told myself, look, I need to raise my standards. You know, I don't I don't need to date just anybody just because they're chatting with me. There were a lot of things about Honey and Kenneth that highlight the best parts of seeing someone face-to-face, seeing them exist in the physical world. After a week of video chatting and texting, they had their first in-person date. It was at the Brookline Puppet Theater where Honey worked, and two things really struck her like signs from the universe when she first saw Kenneth. For one thing, he sneezed. He He reached in his pocket, pulled down his mask, and he sneezed into a cloth handkerchief. And my heart leapt <laughs> because uh, cloth handkerchiefs have always been really special to me because my dad always carried cloth handkerchiefs. And then later in the date, another sign. Um, I showed him uh, our, our theater and we sat down to snacks and we went to open a package and he reached into his pocket and he pulled out uh, it, a Barlow knife that had belonged to my great grandfather. And. That was like the second signal that my father also always carried a pocket knife. Honey was struck by these old world gentlemanly vibes. She's from Texas and Kenneth is from New Orleans. 
So when Honey saw these two items, she instantly thought of the outdoorsiness of her childhood and appreciated their shared southern roots. Zoom dates were key in the early days for Honey and Kenneth, before they met in person. So our first week, we had 20 hours of Zoom conversation. <laughs> I w- it was like a part-time job. <laughs> and so after 20 hours, I was like, oh man, I think I'm, I'm really like into this guy. I'm, 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 you know, I'm getting attached. Kenneth also saw something in her, even through a screen. Early on in their online courtship, Kenneth watched a Facebook Live puppet slam that Honey hosted with an elaborate rabbit costume in the character of Funny Bunny. And I thought, well, Funny Bunny can host the show. Oh! <laughs> and, and it was a lot, but Kenneth was in. But it takes somebody who really has a lot of nerve to do something that's very personal to them, you know, to a stranger. <laughs> and... It occurred to me about halfway through her show that she was trying to scare me off and she was going about it in completely the wrong way. (laughs) Well, not trying to scare him off per se, but if you're going to be scared off by this, you might as well move on. (laughs) Fast forward a bit. Kenneth and Honey were dating in person and virtually. The fertility clinic reopened, and Honey still wanted a child. But she wondered, how do you tell a guy you've been dating for one month that you're planning to have a baby with someone who isn't him in the middle of a pandemic? Like, there's a certain timing you have to follow. Um, I was, uh, you know, when you're trying these th- this process, and I was coming up to the window of time that I could have the procedure. I had a donor sitting there waiting, and I was panicking. I was freaking out. And I was like, what do I, what do I, what do I do here? She waited a month, celebrated his birthday, and then, nervously, told him what she'd been putting off. And I told her, you're, if you're pregnant and the baby's there and I'm there, then I'm the father. Honey made a big life decision when she heard Kenneth's response. It doesn't have to be mine for me to be the father. <laughs> and I just, like, my, oh my gosh, my heart swelled. My ovaries were exploding. <laughs> and so then a month later, um, rather than going uh, with the donor, I invited Kenneth to be the father of our baby girl. <laughs> And that's what happened. Honey got pregnant almost immediately thereafter. She and Kenneth moved in together, and exactly one year to the day after their first date at the puppet theater, they got married at that very spot. Looking back, Honey remembers first meeting Kenneth and gushing to a friend about him. Uh, (laughs) I get really choked up when I talk about it. (laughs) Um, So I guess... Um, what's funny is I went and I told my one of my best friend Rachel about Kenneth, and I think she saw the twinkle in my eye, and um, and she instantly said, "I'll marry you." <laughs> and of course, we we chuckled about it. But a year later, on the day we met in the place we met, we got to have our Zoom wedding, and Rachel did indeed marry us. Hi. 
The process of telling their family and friends, as well as planning the wedding, was a bit of a roller coaster ride. Initially, they expected it would be almost entirely on Zoom. Honey and her friends had been doing shows through Zoom all year, and they were confident that they could pull off this trick. I wanted a small wedding. Like, I, I didn't want all the pressure of who to invite. I didn't want it to feel like a performance because it's a real-life event. And um, I, my parents don't travel well, so having the Zoom option was fantastic for us. Um, I also, after seeing so many weddings and all the money spent on weddings, I, I really, like, <laughs> I, we've got other places our money should go, so having a very affordable wedding was important. But just as Honey was getting ready to give birth in mid-May, the governor announced Massachusetts would be reopening. And I was just like, what? Like, here I was, I was like, you know, in the process of being induced. So I was like, I don't even know what that means right now. Um, but then um, uh, what's great is um, my, my sister-in-law, like, went online and, and got flights and, and booked Airbnb. Um, and I thought, oh, wow, okay, I guess this is, I guess we can have guests now. <laughs> They ended up with a 40-person wedding, with others watching via Zoom, gathered together and apart to celebrate this remarkable partnership forged under the strangest of conditions. We'll be right back. Today's episode of Mass Reboot is sponsored by our good friends at Rasky Partners. They're a longtime supporter of ours and a nationally recognized government affairs and communications firm. For over 30 years, the team at Rasky has worked with all types of organizations, large and small, helping each one reach their business objectives through advocacy and storytelling. Find out more at rasky.com. That's R-A-S-K-Y.com. For couples that were strong going into COVID, there was upheaval and sudden changes. Couples like Eden Heller and Dan Hopkins were already planning to tie the knot, only to find everything stalled. Engaged in May of 2019, with a July 2020 date booked, it wasn't obvious to them in early 2020 that they'd have to change their plans. March and April, I think we were like cautious, but maybe cautiously optimistic. We're like, you know, like I think by July it'll be okay. But then in May, Eden heard from her sister, who lived in Japan at the time. And she called me and she's like, I don't think I'm going to be able to come home. Like, I don't think we'll be able to leave Japan this summer. And so that was the first time I was like, oh, I really think we're going to have to move the wedding. And as more people were like, I don't think I'm going to be able to fly, um, we decided to move it a year. But they'd already been together for years. So they did want to get married on their original date, even if the party couldn't happen as they originally planned it. They'd been engaged for months and they were living through a global pandemic together. Um, and it was a really traumatic time. And it just felt like, I don't know, like during all of this trauma, we really wanted to be married. Um, Once they decided to go forward with getting married on the same schedule in mid-2020, what they did next was something a lot of engaged couples did during COVID. They changed the specifics. The Knot, a popular wedding website reports that among their users, 90% of couples who got married in the last year made modifications to their wedding plans due to COVID-19. Many put added emphasis on health and safety. 80% of couples reduced or limited the number of guests invited to their wedding to comply with local social distancing restrictions. For Eden and Dan, they kept their date. And that's about it. 
They paired the guest list and moved the venue. They got married in Holt Park in Andover instead of the original farm wedding they'd planned. Um, my sister wound up being the officiant, so we didn't have to find an officiant. Um, it was easy to get a marriage license in Massachusetts at that time. Um, and we wound up being able to have an event, including us and the photographer, of 25 people outside. So we wound up being able to invite some friends who are already in Boston. That ceremony in July of 2020 went off without a hitch. But it came with its own very specific stress, one that Eden and Dan said many of their newly married friends have experienced. They planned a honeymoon in Provincetown, but it wasn't as relaxing as you'd expect a honeymoon to be. It was one of the most like stressful <laughs> three to four day periods of our lives because we were concerned that, um, you know, we had just killed everyone that we love. Uh, <laughs> so there was this period of like at least a week after the wedding. Uh, in 2020, where we were extremely stressed out, um, unable to, like, enjoy anything, really. Um, Fortunately, in Eden and Dan's case, the week went by with no bad news. With vaccines on the horizon, they planned to hold a larger celebration in July this year, almost exactly a year after the original date. But even that was uncertain for months. I think for a while we thought, oh, there are going to be people who aren't going to be able to be vaccinated in yeah. time because the rollout was really slow in like December, January. But once in March, he's like, like, I think Biden was like, everyone's going to have access by May 1st or something. Then I realized, oh, everyone can be vaccinated. And therefore, I feel fine having the event. And so we sent out a lot of emails in the winter being like, we might be having the wedding, like keep July 24th saved, but we're not sure. And it wasn't until maybe March or April that we sent out something being like, we are definitely having the wedding. This time, all the guests were invited. There were caterers, music, and everything that had been missing the first time through. And after more than a year of pandemic life, a small wedding, and a nerve-wracking honeymoon, there was joy and there were reunions. My uh, grandfather is 96. And so that was, I know it was like very exciting for him. Um, and it was obviously like really uh, like wonderful for me to have him there and know that, you know, if, if this had gone on for another year or maybe longer, like who knows if he would have been in a condition to come. Um, so yeah, that was very exciting. Eden and Dan are part of what bridal magazines are calling a wedding boom. There have been a flood of weddings just in their circle. Wedding planners say venues, staff, and suppliers are facing tidal waves of demand. And so there's some people who have gone to between five and ten weddings this summer just because everything got pushed. So it has been a lot of weddings. We're only going to one this summer, but we're also going to one in October. Well, we think. We have no idea how the rules are going to change. Um, and then we're going to one in March. Um, but I do know people who have been to, you know, half a dozen weddings this summer. Planning a wedding right now isn't necessarily easier because we're not out of the woods yet. The Delta variant now accounts for more than 90 percent of new COVID cases and overall cases are on the rise. For folks heading down the aisle, that means what looked safe in April is now looking uncertain in October. Should you vaccinate and test? You know, should we try to move it up? outside. I'm not quite sure how people are going to change, but I know that there are people who are getting very upset. It's the people who are having indoor weddings in the fall, I think, are the ones who are trying to figure it out right now. At Honey and Kenneth's wedding, everyone was masked during the ceremony, 
and Honey put a DIY spin on vaccination status. I was having anxiety over seeing unmasked people because I didn't know if they had been vaccinated or if they just didn't care. And so um, uh, I thought, you know, I'm going to provide these tools. So I had buttons that said that if you saw someone unmasked, they could wear a button that said I have been vaccinated or uh, they had masks available. So couples planning weddings have a lot on their plates and they're customizing their approaches to safety and comfort. For people who are trying to meet in the first place, those considerations are front of mind as well. Dating apps are adding vaccination status as a feature. OkCupid, Tinder, Bumble, and others are letting users add a virtual I'm vaccinated button to their profiles. Vaccination status is more of a deal breaker for some groups than others. OkCupid found in May that the vast majority of users on their site said they get the COVID-19 vaccine. The popularity of their I'm vaccinated button has skyrocketed. Those who are planning to get the vaccine or already have it are getting 15% more likes and 14% more matches and having 4.5% more conversations. June data from OkCupid found millennials and Gen Z are more likely than Gen X to cancel a date with someone who didn't want to get the COVID-19 vaccine. And the people on those apps having conversations were more thoughtful than they'd been before, Meredith says. I saw and heard people saying that there was a little bit more empathy, right? Like, you know, people would message not just like, you up. It's like, how are you doing? Meredith says she saw a few things change in relationships over the past year. There was more compassion, more openly navigating boundaries. Figuring out how to express concern about safety was more important and more fraught, but people were more willing to talk about what they're comfortable with in the context of a public health emergency. Meredith hopes these lines of communication remain open as time goes on. Well, I think one thing that should come out of this and has in many cases is less shame in asking for answers, asking questions for answers that we need to know. And, you know, dating point, during COVID had some other upsides, as strange as that might sound. Um, it was weirdly a very rich time for some people, especially people in cities where, um, especially people working from home, where they could find another person who worked from home or wasn't working and they posed less risk to each other. And they said, we're just, you know, we like each other and we're going to bubble up. The downside is that a lot of the casual social structures people rely on for road testing relationships, like meeting college friends for some raucous drinks, just couldn't be replicated. And people who were in relationships before COVID hit, even new ones, suddenly found themselves in exclusive partnerships, but with limited information. Well, how well do you know that person? Uh, you know, I did a story about these couples and some of them said, well, I don't know what this person is like in traffic. I don't know what they're like in a movie theater. I don't know what they'd be like at a family party. Like, would they, you know, so like this idea of, wait, I don't even know if my partner of eight months is actually an introvert. It's complicated for people to make big life decisions during a crisis. Meredith says she saw a lot of people asking themselves why they were taking the next step. And I think decisions, right, also of do we move in together? Do we, um, do we get more serious? Everybody was sort of like, well, am I making this decision because of a global pandemic and how it feels? Like, what would this feel like in normal times? But of course, these aren't normal times. A first date over Zoom or FaceTime, for instance, is kind of a standard concept these days. 
And Meredith sees the potential for virtual conversations continuing, even as we're not currently locked down. Of course, video chatting is much different from an in-person connection. Like, the little gestures that people make are different via a screen. Without a real-life interaction, Honey might never have seen Kenneth's pocket knife, for example. But, Meredith says, the virtual option has a lot of upsides. It worked well for nervous daters, and even presented a different kind of intimacy that isn't possible when meeting at a restaurant or movie theater. Yeah, right? Like, this is, in some ways, a much more intimate first date in, you know, in its own way, because someone is technically seeing into your home. But it was sort of fun to think of, oh, well, I'm seeing this person's action figures behind them, or I get to see the art in their house, or I see their dog run by. You know, like, there were some cool reveals, I think. Services like speed dating have incorporated virtual and in-person events to reach people who aren't comfortable heading out to a bar just yet. Video chatting into a date isn't going anywhere for the moment, and Meredith thinks it might stick around long term. This idea that you could FaceTime or Zoom with someone where no one had to pay for anything, right, except for the equipment that they might have already had. You didn't have to get ready in the way that you used to have to. There was no jumping on the tee and jumping off the tee. And I think it made some people feel more present in the moment, right? And then, well, if it doesn't work, you just close your computer screen, right? So I have heard from many people that they hope that these early Zoom dates and early FaceTime opportunities continue, even in a world that is open. That openness, though, feels more untenable by the week, as COVID cases continue to increase as a result of the Delta variant sweeping through. Even with Delta in the back of people's minds, the pressure to get back out there and return to their old demanding dating routines is upon them. Meredith says she wished people would hold on to some of what they adopted in the height of the pandemic. I had hoped that people would learn the lesson that you're not going to get everything done and therefore a slow burn in life can be good, right? Like that, that dating fatigue, that people would give themselves more of a break, that people would take their time, that yes, there are deadlines for some people, especially when they want to have children and they want to, but, but it's like, we can't get everything done. Right. So we can't make ourselves too miserable in the process. And unfortunately I, what I saw was a lot of, I'm, like, going to go to town. We're navigating out of an unusual summer and into an uncertain fall. And we're desperately trying to get back some semblance of normal. As we do this, however, Meredith hopes people understand that our definition of normal cannot involve erasing COVID's existence. It's changed us all, and therefore changed how we operate in life, and in relationships. None of us will ever exist in the normal that once was. I think one thing that I keep telling people is that like, we have to stop thinking of, well, what do we like when it's normal, right? Like what, well, I'm waiting to see what they're like when they're normal or what, how I feel when I'm normal. And I'm not entirely sure, not to be doomsday about it, but just, I'm not entirely sure that normal is going to be what it was. I think whatever we're heading into is something new and and we're all a little bit different. And, um, you know, it maybe doesn't matter if you don't know what the person was like in 2019 because we're in 2021. (laughs) So here we go. That's it for this week's episode of Mass Reboot. Next week is our final episode of this summer series, which really did take a turn from where we started. 
So join us for a return to our roots and a look at how our elected officials tackled the pandemic so far and where we go from here. That's next time on Episode 8, Government. Mass Reboot is a production of the Mass Inc. Polling Group in collaboration with Commonwealth Magazine. It's produced by Steve Cazella, Jennifer Smith, and me, Libby Gormley. Our music is from Blue Dot Sessions. To lend your support, donate at patreon.com slash mass underscore reboot. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.